The last few weeks, we've been in a series called Christmas Is, where we have taken the time to define Christmas um, in a healthy way, in a healthy perspective. We talked about what Christmas is not. We went over some of those things, and then the, the essence of that first week was that Christmas is actually the sign of God's generosity. That, that is what Christmas points to, that God gave his son, the greatest gift that the world would ever know. And then the next week, this was last week, we really honed into the opportunity that we have around this time of year. That Christmas in our culture specifically, even for the people who really only focus this time of year around the holidays or are just around family and friends and, and food, come on somebody. It's like, that's why God led a man to lead us all to fast in January so you could eat all that mess in November and December and go, I'm fasting and praying in January. It ain't going to get me like it is everybody else. It's just going to come in and go right back off. Yeah, right. But that makes you feel better whenever you're in the midst of it. There are some families in our culture that they celebrate this season, and yet their children and grandchildren don't know anything about Jesus. They don't have any idea why the herald angel is harking. They don't understand what, what it means to be born again, a second birth. And, and the, the tendency over the years, and, and even my first response was, would be to stand in this pulpit and, and then get all the, the choir to say amen, you know, and preach to the church and, and get everybody, to, that's right, they better believe in Jesus. And, but I, what I was reminded in this time of year is that, is that Christmas and, and people that celebrate it are not an offense to my faith. They are not an offense to my faith. They are an opportunity for my faith. So I don't get mad at people that don't believe like I believe. I see them as an opportunity to share my faith. I see them as an opportunity to shed the light of God. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, we see the prophecy of Isaiah coming to light, if you will. He said, the people who walk in darkness, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. I believe that Isaiah is prophesying the light of God shining down from the heavens, coming down from the heavens. And his name was Jesus, and he will be called. But here's what he didn't call us to do. He did not call us to point our finger at the darkness and tell them how ugly and nasty and lost they are. He told us to be the light that would draw them into the message of the gospel. So we don't walk around accusing the darkness and being offended by the darkness. No, we stare into the darkness and we know that because we have seen the great light, we can be the great light and we expose the darkness for the, for the struggle that it is. We shed the light of God on it and we influence our culture in a way that only light can influence darkness. And then we see that a child is born to us and a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. So not only did he come, but he's coming back, and he will be called. That is why it's so important that we are who we're supposed to be, because he will be called. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. God will remove our free will, and
and he will force us to recognize the sovereignty and the divinity of his son. He will be called wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So instead of pointing our finger into the darkness as the accuser of our possible brethren, we should look for the light. We should look to reveal the light and let the light shine through us. So next week, we're going to have our, our annual. We, we let this come as it is, and, and sometimes it, it lands on one day, sometimes it lands on another, and we kind of discern how we're going to have this service depending on when those days land. But, but next week, Sunday morning, we're going to have our, our Christmas candlelight services We're going to sing a few more carols and and some more Christmas songs. We're going to sing some powerful songs, some worship songs. And we're all going to have a candle. We're going to have our babies in here with us. Going to be a little bit of an abridged service. Same times, 9 and 11. We're going to bring everybody in here together and we'll probably be packed um, specifically in the the 9 a.m. and and even better attended in the 11 a.m., and I'm thanking God for all these, these good problems that we have and, and needing to make space and, and prayerfully discerning what God wants. We're going to all come together and celebrate the light of God next Sunday, Sunday morning's uh, services. Sunday night, we want you to go and be with the people that you love. We want you to go and find people that love you. Wednesday night, we want you to do the same thing the day after Christmas to focus in and hone in on the importance of this season. This morning, this is the final message of this series before we have the the candlelight service next week. If you're taking notes, Christmas is the miracle. It is is the miracle, the the purpose and the point behind celebrating. And you're going to realize before the end of this message just how miraculous this this message, okay, not the communicator of this message, but how miraculous this message truly was intended to be. In fact, I just want to ask for the Holy Spirit's help to do this one more time today. I want to ask you to to do something I don't always do in the middle of a message, but let's pray together and ask God to just reveal his truth today. Father, we love you. God, right now, I pray that you would open up our hearts to, to receive today. God, I pray that we would cast off any former misconceptions or even things that we thought we knew, but that for whatever reason over time has lost the impact that they were intended to have. God, right now, I pray that you would clear our head and help us to focus in on you, to set our mind on things above and and not even on the people or the things around us. But God, you would give us the the comprehension of the Holy Spirit to not just receive this message, but to understand and have a new perspective when we leave this place. I pray that you would help me to communicate clearly and concisely, compassionately, but powerfully right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas is the miracle. So if you're taking notes, point number one, Christmas is the miracle in the woman, and all the ladies said, 
All right, let's try that again. Oh, the lady said, amen. Okay, you're going to have to help me a little bit or you're going to get sick of me saying the same thing over and over again today. Okay, the miracle in the woman. Now, normally, the Christmas story begins in Matthew chapter 1, okay, Around verse 18, this is where if we were kind of pulling our family together, we'd begin to read the Christmas story. We would either go to Luke chapter 2 or Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. So let's go to verse 18. This is how Jesus, remember Christmas is about Jesus. We went over that. I hope you got that one. Christmas is about Jesus. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, amen. Thank you for, for a godly mama. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. The power, listen, of the Holy Spirit made her something that according to the world, she was not supposed to be. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but I'm telling you that there's still a move of God available in this generation. There's still a move of God available to the people for such a time as this. And when you encounter the power of the Holy Spirit, you don't have to stay stuck in the same mentality of which you have formerly lived. You may think there's no way that anybody could do this. There's no way that I could get to the next phase. I'm not where I want to be and I'm stuck in a place I don't want to be. But when you have an encounter with the power of the Holy Spirit, you begin to produce things outside of the normal processes and that's what happened to Mary. So normally, we start right there. Now, you've got to be careful reading that one to your... Um, this is by experience, by the way. You've got to be re- careful reading that part to your 6 to 10-year-old because they will begin to ask questions about this passage. And I'm going to be careful today just in case some of those babies are in there, in here. Uh, we do have children's church, full-time children's pastor, and, and, and they do a great job back there. And so I, I really still be careful because there's some kids that would just rather be with their parents or the person that came with them just not quite ready to, to take that leap and, and go into the, that room. And it's a great time if, if, if you like that. And, and I love that they love that. And back there with all those babies, it's a great time. And so we have that available. And so I, I don't want to assume that, that somebody is in here that isn't or, or isn't in here that is. Um, but if I ever say anything that, that your kindergarten through fifth grader or your infant, your toddler or your pre-K child hears from the pulpit that they may not have been ready to hear. I just make sure you know it's your fault, okay? I just, <laughs> I hired all those people to help us out because I didn't do good in children's ministry either. But normally, normally, as long as you don't blame me, man, we love having babies in here and we want them to be just as comfortable in the house of God as, as we want you to be. Normally, we don't start the story in Matthew chapter 1, uh, verse 1. 
where Abraham begat Isaac, or, or thank God for the New Living Translation, uh, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. And, and we skip over the begets and we get to the good part, right? But I want to show you this morning something significant about the begets. Uh, I want to show you something this morning that Matthew intentionally included in the opening of his gospel. Uh, and normally, like Luke did, it would just kind of hinge around the patriarchs. But Matthew intentionally included the women. So let me try again, all the ladies said. Thank you for Matthew. He's going to be in a special place in heaven that Luke's not going to receive because there's obviously going to be more women than men in heaven because y'all just kind of do a better job of this thing overall. And so Matthew is going to have a special place in the heart of all the ladies. Matthew actually intentionally in verse 3, he includes the first woman, okay? He includes Tamar. And, and Tamar is an interesting story. I can't go in too far because I'll just, I'll get too deep, uh, deeper than this message already is. But Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. And Tamar's husband died and, and Tamar actually hid herself as a, as a prostitute, okay, and, and tricked Judah into being with her. And, and she had twins from that relationship. And, and one of those twins was Perez, who would go on to be part of the lineage of David and, and ultimately the lineage of Jesus. Matthew takes the time to include Rahab. Rahab was known as Rahab the prostitute. She was used to protect the, the people of Israel uh, in the midst of trying to conquer the land in Canaan. And she's included in the lineage of Jesus Christ, the genealogy of my Savior. He takes the time to include Ruth, who ended up marrying Boaz, the, the kinsman redeemer, and they had a child named Obed, and, and they're all right there in the genealogy. And you get down to, to Bathsheba, Bathsheba, the, the bath lady, okay, who was, who was, I, you know, a lot of people are, oh, poor Bathsheba, just called up to the palace by the, the wicked king David, the the, the peeping David, and he was looking at her bathing, and you know, like she just went out to her roof every night and just happened to never notice that her bathtub was right in line with the window of David's bedroom. She never knew. She was just innocently bathing in front of everyone. Oh, oh, don't look, David. Oh, no, I didn't know. I mean, a little Miss Innocent Bathsheba, okay, was down there. And, and ultimately, David succumbed, I believe, to the seduction, possibly. Now, I'm not accusing her falsely, and, but, but some believe that it was not likely that she didn't realize she was being watched with her husband away at war, and nobody could see her but David. She might have been putting a show on for the whole city. I don't know what she was doing. All I know is that she wasn't doing what she was supposed to be doing, and yet God still decided to use her. Come on, somebody. Now, finally, we get all the way down to Mary. Jacob begot Joseph, who was the husband of Mary. What does that mean? It means that Matthew, through the power of the Holy Spirit, 
intentionally included these individuals to show that it doesn't matter, listen to me, what you came from, what you've done, or where you've been. When you submit to the Lord, he can use you right where you are. He's been doing it since then, and he still does it today. And God intentionally put those in there to reveal his glory. Mary, this woman, this virgin woman, this pure, almost bride of the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. Speaking to the serpent. I'm going to go way back, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Speaking to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. God pronounces the curse, the consequence of the choice of the woman and the man being seduced to the temptation of the devil. He says in verse 15, I will put enmity, I will put division, discourse between you and the woman, okay? And between, watch this, you, gotta, you may want to highlight this, circle this, between your seed... He's speaking to Lucifer and the sons of Lucifer, the daughters of Lucifer, the children of Lucifer between your seed and between her seed. And we come back to that. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. From the very beginning, even in the curse, God said, Lucifer, I know you think you've done something significant here. And you may have held her back for just a moment. But I'm going to put something in her that you're not going to be able to hold back. You may strike at her foot. You may cause her to stumble. But she will not fall. For I will uphold her with my strong right hand according to my word. You may strike her heel. But you're not going to knock her down. Because she's going to crush your head. And I don't know the last time that you had an ankle injury versus a last time that you had a head injury, but sometimes you can recover a lot more quickly from something hitting your heel than you can your head. Now, some of us got dropped as a baby, and we're still trying to recover. And I get that. And I don't know if it happened more in South Louisiana, North Louisiana, or what's going on in some places, but, but, but I'm telling you, either way, either way, God set it up from the very beginning. Lucifer, you may have won a small victory, but I just want to remind you of your place. You're not going to be any more victorious over her than you were over me. You may bruise her heel. She's going to crush your head. I'm going to put something in her that's going to be bigger than what you're going to be able to deal with. Let me give you two sub points this morning. This seed was different than any other seed. Okay? So normally, A, normally, a seed only grows in dirt. Now, that's interesting. It's just a little playful theology here. If, if this doesn't work out just perfectly uh, for your scholarly ambitions, that's okay. But I just thought this was fun. Some of the things that I was catching as I was writing this, this message. Um, ladies, congratulations. You didn't come from dirt. Okay? Guys, sorry. You were formed from dirt, from the dust of the earth. Now, ladies, you were taken from the bone, and although men were formed, the Bible says that you were fashioned. Thank you, Jesus, for fashioning. Hallelujah, my bride. And not because I didn't want to like, you know, never mind. Okay, so fashioned from the 
the bone. And, and, and Adam, the man actually looks at the fashioning of God from the bone, not from the dirt. And, and, and he says, as he sees her, you are unlike any other that I've ever seen. You are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And I shall call you, woo, man. That's how that came, okay? Now, I don't know where you stand scholastically on that or scholarly interpretation, but that's, that's for me, okay? That's what happened to me the first time. She, I was like, who was that? Okay, anyway, that's what happens. Seed does not grow in bone. Seed normally grows in dirt, okay? So the fact that a woman could receive, incubate, and give birth is in and of itself a miraculous move of God. That's why every, that's why every heartbeat is a miracle from God. Every child that is given birth to or birth is taken from had a purpose Every person sitting in this room right now, God intentionally, miraculously formed you in your mother's womb outside of the normal and natural way because seed does not usually grow outside of dirt, but it did in you. The second thing that it shows is normally, if uh, my one biology class in college is, is accurate, Normally, seed is not in her, okay? Normally, it would not be your seed, Lucifer, and your seed, woman, okay? Normally, seed is in the man. That's about as far as I'm going with that. If you have any more questions, you can email your mom, okay? (laughs) As far as I'm going. Watch this. From the very beginning, Genesis 3, 15, God said the same thing then that he's saying today. Listen, hear this. God said, I don't need your method to perform my miracle. I've got another plan. God looked down from heaven in chapter three of the first book and said, I know you've messed up from the very beginning. This is for somebody today. I know you've made mistakes. I know your methods have been out of order, but I'm telling you today, the same thing that happened in Genesis 3.15 can happen for you, that you don't have to stay messed up and you don't have to stay mistaken. I've got a seed of potential I want to put in you. I've got a seed of production I want to put in you. Man, woman, or child, no matter where you came from, what you've done, or what you've been, I've got a seed that I want to invest in you. And you are going to produce more with me in you than you would have ever done on your own. I don't need your methods. I don't care about your mess or your mistakes. i got a miracle on the other side of this thing. If you will stand in me, then I can use you to reveal and expose the purpose for which I created you. From the very beginning, there's a miracle in waiting for you right now. The angel prophesied this over Mary. He prophesied it. He spoke into her, and you're going to catch how important this is in just a second. Just hang in there. I know it's a little, I know it's a little thick today. 
doctrinally, theology is a little bit weighted today. We're digging in a little bit, but this is what God was revealing and how he was leading me. The angel prophesied, he spoke life into Mary. And then watch Mary's response. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. How can you use me? I don't fit the mold. How could you produce in and through me in that manner because I am nothing more than an adolescent child from a weak village in a country that has been overwhelmed instead of operating in authority. What could you possibly do with me? I don't fit the method. So the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Listen to me. There's a last move. There's a final plea. There's an opportunity for you to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit that's going to mess up your method. An encounter with the Holy Spirit that's going to take care of your mistakes. An encounter with the Holy Spirit that's going to lead you into a miracle that you have not yet seen. Going to take you to a place you didn't know you could go. Going to cause you to produce things that you did not know you had the capacity to produce. There is potential in the Holy Spirit that if you could get the right amount, which is just a little bit, of him in you, then you could become more than you currently are by him. No matter where you are in your journey, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now that word is intentional. The power of the Most High will overshadow you because God did not defile Mary's innocence. God did not take Mary's purity. He made her even purer. God did not have a physical union despite some very heretical theologies. God did not have a physical union with Mary. Mary had an impartation of God. She received what the Holy Spirit had for her. So the baby to be born will not come from the seed of man, will come from the seed of God. And that baby will be called holy and he will be called the son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. And I just rebuked that scripture from coming to life in my house. But your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say, I don't know who this is for, but people around you are saying that you're barren. People around you are saying that you're worn out. People around you are saying that you're used up. People around you are saying, I can't get no help in this Episcopalian church this morning. People around you are saying that you have nothing left to offer, but an angel has prophesied over you. Gabriel watched Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 happen then, and he's coming back today to say the same thing to somebody, that you're not bound by that which the world has spoken over you. You are destined by that which God has spoken over you, and the world may think you're barren, but God says, you are productive. She has conceived a son and is in her sixth month, verse 37. For the word of God will never fail. The word of God will never fail. See, the enemy, in order to 
kill and destroy you. He's got to steal from you your rightful place in his kingdom. He's got to steal for you the mentality that Jesus purchased for you. He's got to steal from you the identity that God created you for in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. That is why the devil came to the woman and the first thing he said was, did God really say that? Because if the enemy can get you to doubt his word, then he can get you to doubt yourself. But when the enemy is reminded of his rightful place and you recall who you were created to be, divinity moves in and if God can do it with her, then he can do it with us. God's still looking down and saying, I know that you messed up. I know you felt used up. I know you may be adolescent or aged out. I know that you think you're barren and I know that you think that God can't use you because you haven't been believing or you're just a new believer. I know you think that because you're a senior saint that somebody else's turn to do your job. But God says, if you will give yourself to me, I can take barren and make it beautiful. I can take poverty and make it productive. I can take your methods and your mess and I can transform it into a miracle. Could we just give him five seconds worth of praise for who he called us to be? It's the potential of the seed. If you come to me, God says, I don't need your method. I just need you. That's all he wants. That's the miracle in the woman. God in his divinity skipped over the dust. He skipped over the normal process. He skipped over the normal method. He placed his seed in the woman. Why? Because it was the woman who was first tempted. And it was the woman who succumbed to the temptation. So God said, because you were the first one that messed up, you're going to be the first one I redeem. I hadn't forgotten you. He knew that you were vulnerable. My question, not is why Eve, but where Adam? Where was the man that was supposed to be there? That is why he calls us the bride of Christ, because he knows that he has to be for everyone what no one could have ever been for anyone. Some of us, maybe a prophetic word for some of you ladies, maybe even some of you. See, here's what happens. Some of us need to quit playing in the dirt. Some of us need to stop looking for salvation in the dust because the dust can't save. The dust needed salvation. The dirt can't save. The dirt needed salvation. And women have been too busy playing in the dirt 
while men have been too busy with their head in the sand. So instead of playing in the dirt or having our head stuck in the sand, how about we get back into the right place with God? Let him divinely position us from the production that he would like for us to have and quit messing with the old dirt. Stop being dust and start being divine. God says, I know he didn't lead you like I created you for. I know that he didn't support you like I created him to. I know that you've been hurt And guys, maybe I'm talking to you this morning. I know that you've been struggling to be what everybody expects you to be. I know that you've had a hard time living up to the expectation and the influence. I know and I see the struggle, but dirt, listen to this, dirt didn't make you and dirt can't break you. I've got something divine on the other side of the dirt. Without the spirit of God, the dirt was nothing more than a dead body. But when God breathed his breath in the dirt, something significant began to take place in the midst of the dust. God said what I I've done before, I prophesy, I'm going to do again. Even though you messed up what I was doing, I'm not done with you yet. I still have a plan for tomorrow. And if you will trust me, then I will take you there. Let it stir in you. I love that the angel prophesied to the woman, but somebody had to explain this to the man. Because women, they just always need a word, right? How was your day? How did you feel about your day? What happened that caused you to feel the way that you felt about your day? I just need you to give me the feelings and the details. I just need a word. It's all I need. Women always need a word. Men always need an explanation. Wait, what? Oh, how'd that happen? What did he do that for? Why was he with them? We always need an explanation. Women always need a word. Men always need an explanation. So God, knowing that we all need a little bit of something, comes back into Matthew chapter 1. Verse 20, and the Bible says, but while Joseph was thinking about these things, guys, listen, stop that, (laughs) okay? That was the problem with Joseph. He was thinking, listen, about what he wanted instead of discerning what God had. When we think and try to decide what we want, instead of discerning what God has, we are more likely to make the wrong decision. Thank God for the interruption and the explanation. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of... No, dust. 
See, if, if I did the things that David did in the dust form, I would lose my family, my ministry, my influence, and a lot of people would suffer. Notice Joseph little s, son of another man that God decided to put his hand upon. God decided even through the division that David called, that I still have a plan for David. If he'll repent and he'll confess, I can still use him. Son of dust, little more than just the thing that I created. Joseph, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, for your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. It's not of this world, but of the Holy Spirit. God skipped over the dust. God skipped over David. He skipped over Joseph. And he went to the source of the issue because he's in the business of dealing with the root. For to provide a solution is to not deal with what's produced, but what is causing the production. So God skipped over the dust. God skipped over the thing that was distracted or discouraged. He went right to the source, and Isaiah's prophecy comes to pass in verse 23. Behold, the virgin, the pure one, shall be with child, shall bear a capital S-O-N, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which does not mean God over us, does not mean God around us. Emmanuel means God within us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, if you could imagine an angel speaking to you, and you know and you're having a divine encounter, he came out of bed, and he came out of bed quickly. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took to him his wife, verse 25, and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. He did not know her. He did not consummate the marriage. He did not mix his desire or his seed with God's desire and God's seed. He waited until the firstborn came to pass because he knew that something new needed to happen. He did not mix what he had with what God had. So dirt, I mean, guys, this could also apply to mamas, grandmamas, aunts, sisters. Honestly, listen, this applies to anyone who desires to have the will of God in their lives. When we don't lead the way God intended, he will skip over us and we will watch others become what we could have been. If we do not lead 
If we do not receive what God has for us and walk in the anointing that he makes available to us, if we do not answer the call that God places upon us as his children, then we will be little more than a carpenter in an impoverished village when we could have been the king of a nation operating in the authority of his anointing. But because his parents and his grandparents and his fathers and forefathers forgot who they were, somebody needs to be reminded for not just such a time as this, but for the children and grandchildren that are coming behind us. We need to have somebody remember where we came from and who God's called us to be. Somebody remember the potential that could be produced in a son and a daughter of God. Somebody take a stand and stop mixing dirt with divine. What we do is we say, God, let me tell you what I want. When we should be asking God, what does he want? We tell God, look what I have when we should be seeking God for whatever he has. Like Joseph did for a moment, he was deciding what he desired, but thank God he had an angelic interruption that was willing to explain because when Joseph went from trying to decide what he desired to discerning what God desired, divinity came in the midst of the dust. When you mix dirt with divine, you get a mess. But when you mix divine with dirt, you see a miracle begin to produce in the life of somebody that had it inside of them the entire time. And they watched the king of the Jews arise and become the miracle that had been prophesied in her seed. Not by Isaiah, not by David, not even by Jeremiah in between. They watched the miracle that had been prophesied from the mouth of God in Genesis 3.15. Not the curse, but the promise that even when we make a mess, God has always been in the mood of taking that mess and turning it into a miracle. From the very beginning until today, if you can come help me, this is the final point. This is the miracle. Ooh, that comes apart. It's a miracle in the manger. Okay, God took all that screaming. Preaching, that's what I meant to say. Sermonizing. He took all of that that he helped me dig up that for 34 years I had looked over and just read the Christmas story, right? Because that's what I'm supposed to do. I, I live in Louisiana. I'm a Christian. My family goes to church. Had a drug problem. Drug there on Wednesday, drug there on Sunday, drug there on Sunday night. Might have spilled a cup of dip and got cussed at on the way, but we were going, friend. I'm telling you that much. He took all of that stuff that he's been trying to show us for years. He wrapped it up and he laid it in a manger. 
See, a manger was, as most of you know, maybe some of you don't, just makes it even cooler if I get to explain this to you. A manger was really just a little bit more than a food trough. It's basically all it was. A manger was really just a vessel. Help, stay involved, stay with me here, and you'll see the comparison. A manger was just something that the animals would come to and eat from. The manger would be filled up and then emptied, and filled up and emptied. And it was really, it was really just up to this point, a container of slop. It's probably dirty. From all the mess, listen, from the world that had been poured into it. It was gross. It couldn't be used for anything more than feeding animals and being emptied over and over and over again. Until one night. And this is the promise. This is the miracle. One night, God took a seemingly insignificant child and placed him in a seemingly insignificant vessel. And when that happened, the influence and the identity of that vessel was changed, transformed for eternity. No longer was it just a mess. No longer was it just a a trough for slop. It had a new purpose. The manger, the vessel, now literally held the potential of the seed promised in Genesis 3.15. We are the manger. From the very beginning until this message today, we are the mess. We are the ones who do not yet realize our full potential. But when Jesus entered into that manger, its identity was transformed. Jesus humbled himself to that manger. Now most people, most people, we know the scripture that Jesus humbled himself unto death, even death on a cross. Okay, but listen, Jesus humbled himself unto death, but he had to be in the manger first. Jesus humbled himself under crucifixion and tyranny and rejection. Jesus humbled himself unto poverty. Jesus stood before kings and he was laid in an animal trough, which goes to show me this. No matter where I came from, no matter what line I'm of, whether I'm a line of royalty or I'm a line of poverty. Jesus came to relate to me. He's not an impersonal God. He's one who wants to be vested 
in our very day, right here on the inside of us and everything that we're involved in. And he was willing to do what most of us are not willing to do. See, because we're willing to point our finger into the darkness. We're willing to accuse the darkness. We're willing to be offended by the darkness. But listen to me, friend. Anyone can live a Christian life in a Christian America. But there is a day that we are now standing upon the threshold of where the church is being challenged beyond its own comfort. And it will take a born-again believer becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ to stand in the darkness and let the light of God, the miracle produced through a woman and placed in a manger to stand in the culture that's on its way and saying, you can take from me everything that you think you need to. You can call me whatever you want to, but he calls me chosen. He calls me not forsaken. He calls me a son. He calls me a daughter. He changed my identity when he placed his son in me. We are the manger So Christmas is the miracle in us. That's what Christmas is. It's what Christ desires to be. Father, right now, before we get our stuff together, before we forget the potential impact of this message, God, I pray right now in Jesus' name, that you would help us to examine our hearts and see where we are in you. For every person in here, I want you to ask yourself this question. Make it personal. Will I let God put his miracle in me? Will my life be centered primarily focused on following Jesus? Will I stay the course or will I become a statistic? Will I go through the process for God to produce me his miracle? For the followers of Jesus, hear what I want you to do. If you believe in Jesus, you've been born again. You've received salvation. You're involved in that process. I want you to ask God right there where you sit. Lord, what do I need to fast this coming January? What do I need to lay down for 21 days so that I can draw closer to you for 21 days? What is in the way of me going to the next phase with you? What is in the way of me having a more personal relationship with you? What could I give up? What can I lay down? What can I disconnect from in fasting and prayer for 21 days? You should write that down before you leave today. Discern what God has decided. Now, church, I need you to pray with me before we get our things, before we go. We're right on time. 
But there's been no more important moment in our service today than this moment right here. If you're in this room and you know that you have not been living for Jesus, you are not a follower of Christ, you know that you need to be born again or you need to receive salvation, you need to ask forgiveness for your sin, you need to accept his free gift, his miracle that he sent just for you. Maybe you've done that before a hundred times, but you know that last week you weren't following him. Your life does not represent the light that God would have for you. And today you need to recommit, or maybe you need to really commit your life to Jesus. We're going to pray a prayer in just a minute. With nobody looking around, I just want to ask if you would, are in a place in your relationship where you would want us to pray that prayer with you, I just want you to lift your hand right where you sit. Say, hey, that's me. Just as an act of obedience. Thank you. I see you. I see you. Anybody else? It's between you and Jesus. Just an act of obedience. Thank you. I see you. I need to receive salvation. I need to recommit my life to Jesus today. We just know who we're praying for and give you an opportunity to confess with the lifting of a hand. Nobody looking around. We're not going to embarrass you. Just going to pray with you. Anybody else? Thank you. I see you. Anybody else? Praise God. We believe with all of our heart here that the word of God is alive and active and that he gives us a promise in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Specifically, he says, if we will confess with your mouth the miracle that God sent, Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. So we don't pray this prayer as a routine. We pray this prayer as an opportunity, as a confession for you to begin a journey with Jesus that has to start with repentance and receiving salvation. So if you raised your hand and even if you didn't, church, I wanna ask you to help us pray today. Pray this prayer out loud with all of your heart. Come on, let's pray it together. Jesus, forgive me for my mess. Save me. Cleanse me. Take everything out that doesn't belong. Replace it with your son. Thank you for dying on the cross, being raised from the dead, and giving your life so that I could live. I want to follow you with all of my heart for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Come on, if you believe in that prayer today and that confession, could you give God praise in his house?